last week we did, um, we kicked off the new series, The Big Picture, and we were talking about big data. And um, if you missed that, we now, we have now arrived on iTunes. Hey. My life is complete. Hey. We are on iTunes. We have a podcast. You can subscribe. Don't know. Still. So, yeah, we're on iTunes. So if you missed that, you can go on there. And it's free as well. We don't charge. I should have, man. How'd you do that? Damn. No, I'm joking. You know. Yeah. Two ninety nine for your oh no two pound forty nine for your twenty four hour and nine minute miracle that's what I should have done <laughs> missed out on a trick on iTunes there but no it's cool you can just grab that on there so today we're following on we're continuing the series the big picture which is kind of ironic considering I've given you all really miniature canvases so we're talking about the big picture but our budget's not that big so they're really really tiny so, uh, so you may be wondering why there's a small canvas in front of you well we're going to try something crazy you can choose to partake or you can choose to pass. So what we're going to do is, if you don't know, um, City Hill is a church. We sponsor two children in Kagera, Tanzania through African Child Trust, who I, I used to kind of work for. And um, what we're going to do today is we're going to do something daring and outlandish. Through the talk, hopefully there'll be some things, some pictures in what I read and in what I say. And if you're not happy with what I say, just draw, restyle your own thing. That's not a problem. Uh, the reason we're going to be doing this is at the end of the service, if you're in on this, I'm going to collect them all. I'm going to open... I'm getting mugged. I'm getting mugged as we speak. Marvin has just jacked my bag and I don't know why. That's cool. What is wrong with you, dude? I just want a canvas, man. Oh, okay, yeah, just grab a canvas from the bag. If anyone hasn't got one, let Marv know and he'll, he'll distribute. I was like, what is he doing? That is my bag. Buy your own man bag. So... Um, what I'll do is I'll be collecting them all in at the end, so put as much effort in as you can. If you're not good at art and you don't want to draw a draw, then just pick a word and just make it colourful. And what we're going to do is I'm going to make a City Hill eBay account. I'm going to put them all on eBay, and I'm going to send you the link for your own one. And we're going to all push hard and take responsibility to try and raise at least £36 in bids for our own personal masterpiece. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do this while I speak, but I am going to partake. And I am going to put something out there myself. It's just a laugh, really. Um, and I can draw. But you know what? You know what? It, it is a lot of fun. And it's also it's a skill in sales. Like, going to a mate's like, you need this. This will complete your home. Or if you have to and you need to do one of those, you know, God TV, 24-hour miracle paintings that will sit on the mantelpiece and scare away demons, whatever you need to do. No, don't do that. That's not cool. But um, if your friends have got humor, you can do that. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing today. So there's different pens, different techniques. Some of you might be a little less adventurous and want to hit the pencil first and then fill in later on. You know, some of you, some of you might be like me, where I just go straight for the black pen and what will be will be Sarah, Sarah. Um, we're really going to do that. There's, there's glitter pens there for the glitterati among us. Um, there's a couple neons as well. So it should be a real, real laugh. Um, it's really cool and really exciting because before I finished the act a couple weeks ago, one of the things I saw come in was a report from Kagera Tanzania. And um, things happen in stages. So as soon as a kid gets sponsored, it doesn't mean all their dreams come true and they get everything. But I just saw from the second um, round of money coming for a different school term, I saw photos of the kids, so our girls will have got this, because we sponsored two girls, they will have new shoes. Yay! That is cool, that is cool. They were already in school, they already had good healthy food coming so they can be, you know, get that supplement of nutrition, but now they have shoes. Come on, 
So that, that was a big deal for them. I've never seen kids with shoes looking so happy. Like, yeah, you know how it is as a kid. Like, obviously you enjoy getting new shoes, but it's the torture of going with your parents and then going, they're not practical and all that. And you're like, but they're great. They flash lights. Yeah, cool. So that happened. That was amazing. So today we're doing the second part. What was... I yeah, put your name on the back properly. On the front, you can do your artistic signature, okay? But on the back, do your actual name, just because otherwise, like, if you decide to call yourself, I don't know, uh, Younger Spice. Don't know why Spice came into it. People do weird names, not my fault. But, um, yeah, then I can know. Sweet. Okay, so we're following on from last week. Last week was a little bit depressing, uh, we looked at the big data of the church. We found out that between 2001 and 2011, 5.3 million people um, left Christianity in the UK. Brap, brap, these things happen. Oh, well. And um, that was a bit depressing. But then we were looking at kind of like the strategy, looking at the big picture. A lot of churches tend to just look at those statistics and they just say things like, that is not my portion. And then that's the end of the talk. That's not really helpful. I think if we act like an ostrich... Um, it's not going to work well for us. And so we're going to be looking at this series, the story of this. We're going to be starting with the setting, which we did last week, the statistics. One in uh, five Christians are 65 plus in the UK, so we're literally dying. It's not a good statistic, but it's literally where we're at. We're decreasing 50% faster than previously thought. Not a good statistic, but it's true. And so how are we going to react to that? We're going to keep doing things the same way as we always did thing, which is basically a sign of insanity, or are we better to mix it up, which is what we're going to hopefully try and do. So that's the setting for our scene, but we're doing like a movie. So we're going with the setting, that's the problem. We're looking at our main character, which is City Hill, which is us. And um, with every main character in every film, they are completely inadequate to do their task. You've never seen a film where they're just like, oh man, I've totally got this. Seriously, Alien Invasion dealt with that last week. (laughs) So, that is so last week doesn't happen in every film in every good story it's like oh my days this is insane how the heck am i going to do anything about that so this week we're at the point where the hero in the story which is us um yay is going to meet like in every film they always meet someone who's experienced and just inputs that wisdom that empowers them like yeah i can do this and then they go for it so we're going to meet we're going to meet jesus this morning, I don't know why I had to say it that way, I just did, but um, we're going to meet Jesus this morning. And so, what does Jesus, did it again, have to say? Mark chapter 4, verse 21, and he said to them, them being crowd people, disciples, peeps, homies, homeboys, homegirls, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? And not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I think what Jesus is saying here is a really good question. I think it's a valid question. I think it's a great question. I think it's a great point. And I think it's a really important one for us in the society and the culture that we live in. Within his context, he was able to do things we're not able to do. And the reason for that is because his culture, everyone had kind of embraced kind of the scriptures, even if they weren't following it or didn't follow it, from the age of zero to five, they learned the first five books of the Bible off by heart, 
After that, they were schooled on them. And as they grew older, they learned more of the books of the Bible. And at one point, they'd be told, you're not good enough. Go learn your father's trade. Because to be a hotshot in their society was to be like a Pharisee, to be a lawyer. So the legal profession was what everyone admired, everyone looked to. And at some point, these children, as they learned these stuff, would be told like, you don't cut it. Go learn your dad's building trade. Go learn your dad's fishing trade. Go learn whatever your dad is. And so Jesus was able to do something we're not really able to do, as we're going to see in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little bit further, he said, he saw um, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, like, I've been hanging around loads of different pastors' networks and different things, like in the US and in the UK, and I go loads of different meetings and stuff. And when I hang out with different pastors or I go visit their church and I chat to them about stuff, they will talk to me about their impressive programs of what they're doing to disciple the next generation and discipleship and all this kind of stuff. And they'll be talking about it, and it'll be like, wow, that's amazing. You guys are really doing that. It's brilliant. But then when you get to the network meeting, how they talk about things is totally different. So in front of their church and everything, they're like, man, Solid got this whole argument, got this on lockdown, man. We just need to do this, 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 this. Everything's cool. Boom. Then you go to a network, and there's all these pastors there, and I'm like, sweet. So I'm going to like hear like the answer to the life of the universe and everything, because I see these guys preach. They know everything. And then you get in this room, and the door is shut, and it's just a group of pastors sitting around a round table, or a square table, or a rectangle, whatever. I don't know why that mattered. And as they're around the table, the same thing I've heard in discussion after discussion after discussion is this. What is discipleship? What is This has never been that hard for me to say before. What does discipleship look like in today's culture? And I'm kind of looking, and I remember my first time I had this conversation, and I was involved in it. And I was like, you mean you guys don't know? We are so screwed. And I wanted to like run out of the room panicking, like, they don't have a clue what they're doing. But then this conversation goes on. Then someone would say something like, what does discipleship look like in the 21st century? And it's like, and then they'd be like, I, 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 I'm not sure. And then it would be like, what does it look like to disciple millennials? And then no one really has a clue. And then someone who's really far thinking would go, how are we going to disciple the next generation with all their hyper-connectivity? And I'm sitting there like, oh God, am I really in this meeting? Is this really happening? Is this really what people are talking about? But then I started to process what they're saying. And we're in a completely different ballgame as Jesus. Because, picture this. I'm going to pick on Doyne. Doyne's at work. I rock up walking past Doyne's work. Doyne is working away. And I walk up to her and I go, Doyne, follow me. And I will make you a a, a fisher of men. Oh, yeah, well, you're not really fishing. So that doesn't really work. But if I take whatever profession you have, take your own profession and then apply it weirdly like Jesus did there and then they're like okay Doyen would not be like boss I quit and walk straight out the door and follow after me like no one would do that and there's a good reason why no one would do that a very good reason you see in Jesus' society what he was doing here although Jesus is a radical and he changes and challenges society he's actually doing something really common there were actually he was not the first rabbi um, to do it vocationally. Now, Jesus did it solid for three years, but in their culture, there were often a lot of guys 
who would be like carpenters, like he was, or hold down different seasonal vocations. And they would then, as their season of work ended, leave and go and teach within the community and do community works, like as a rabbi, grab a group of followers and do this. This wasn't, he wasn't the only one to do this. So when he walked up to these guys stone cold, follow me, these guys were not like, wow, I've never heard this before, you absolute raving weirdo. What the heck have I got to lose? Let's do this. Because they literally left their jobs, their livelihoods behind. This kind of stuff happened, not extremely regularly, but it was known within their society. And so these guys were doing something that made sense within their context. And with the whole nation being a people who believed in this system and gave into this system and helped maintain this system, it wasn't the same risk as if I walked into your workplace and just said, follow me, quit your job, and just stood there and you're like, okay, let me do my 30 days notice. And I'll be like, no. Because Jesus does that one then. Can I say goodbye to my parents? No. <laughs> it's like, we're going now. Um, like, yeah, if I imagine if I did that here, like, because I, I, I've heard people say, when I've talked about discipleship before, I've heard guys go, well, it's simple. We just do it like the New Testament. I'm like, seriously, you want to do it like the New Testament? Quit your job today. Follow me for the next however long. Oh, but I need to do my 30 days. No, no, no. The 30 days is gone. You're like proper quitting. As in quitting as in like, I will not be here tomorrow. That's some scary stuff. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty weird. And that's what discipleship was like for these guys. They were literally throwing everything in their lives behind them. And there's another thing about the culture of discipleship within the context of the New Testament disciples and afterwards. Like, this is why I will never disciple anyone here in a New Testament manner. There were disciples in, the, in these times that would literally, um, if their rabbi went to the toilet, they would follow them in case they had a pearl of wisdom that they would drop. And they would just be with them everywhere. Like, guys, like I love the guys at City Hill. I want to see you guys grow in what God's doing in your life. I do not want everyone walking me to the urinal at the same time. Like, I'm not being funny. That is just wrong. That is just plain up. But it's, hey, hey, we want to do discipleship biblically. We want to do it in the New Testament context. Whoa, we all go to the urinal and follow Andy. That's just messed up, guys. That is just messed up. There are some things we need to look at within this context and realize the world has changed. Our society has changed. And the answer is scripture and who Jesus is, but it's not always mimicking the context. Sometimes people hype up the context like it's the be all and end all, and it's not, because it gets worse than that. If you think that was bad and awkward enough, there were disciples that were known to hide in the closet of their rabbi's bedroom because they wanted to learn how their rabbi got jiggy with it so they could get jiggy with it like their rabbi got jiggy with it. I'm just letting everyone know, I don't want any of you in my bedroom ever, period. Full stop. Don't want that. So let's not quite do it. Yeah, apart from Jody. Yeah, I do. Jody, like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Thank, thank you, Gems. That'd have been awkward. I'd have got home today, and Jody'd be like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not coming in. I'm not coming in. I refuse." Um, that would have been a disaster. Everyone apart from Jody, <laughs> clarity now, is barred from that. Oh, yeah. So things can get a bit weird and a bit creepy. But then if we go to chapter 2 of Mark and verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
And as he reclined at, at his table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, when he heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love that passage because um, it gives me great hope. It lets me know that Jesus would have hung out with me. It lets me know Jesus would have hung out with me. Because um, if, if Jesus was here right now, and like last week we stayed behind, we had a roast. If, if Jesus had been at that, he, yeah, if Jesus had physically been present at that roast right there, there, there could have easily been anyone, like my wife could have easily said across the table to Jesus, like, Jesus, you do realize Andy's at the table with you, right? Like, come on now. Andy's at the table with you. Andy, like, you, Jesus, you, you know what this guy's like, right? He's actually at the table with you. Like, Jesus, come on now. Like, if you really want to change the world, you need to upgrade. Like, I'm not being funny. This is not the guy that you want to you wanna be with. Um, he's a bit messed up, Jesus. He's, he's not the full ticket. He's a bit cuckoo. He's a bit mad. And uh, Jesus, I'm married to him. He is not that great. <laughs> like, seriously. That's why I love this passage. Because it tells us, and it also tells us, it tells us who our target audience is. It tells us who our target audience is. It tells us who, who, who we're, we're looking to reach, who we're looking to engage with. So last week, we looked at 5.3 million people are leaving the church. And then if we talk in church about the types of people we're meant to hang around with, people will take verses like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And they'd be like, man, you need to be hanging around with like good Christian guys, good Christian girls all the time. And it's like, well, who's, who's actually hanging out with our target audience? Who's actually hanging out with the people that Jesus actually came for? He didn't actually come for them. Um, he, he, he came for nutters, real like messed up, scrambly eggs kind of lives that aren't all perfect on a plate, that don't look that great that are a bit awkward, a bit tough to get around, um, that kind of reject you, don't really want you, kind of push you back, those kind of people. That's who he came for. But you and I, we're meant to hang around with a different sort of people. But if we hang around with different sort of people, we're not taking his commission seriously. And that's a little bit worrying. But I love the fact that in both these cases, he does something quite brilliant and something quite genius. It's amazing, it's radical. And if church gets a hold of it, it's absolutely revolutionary. He says, follow me. He gives them an actual invitation. He gives them an invitation. Like, I don't know what it is about church nowadays, but it's kind of like we want to do everything we can to, like, avoid, like, giving, like, an invitation to someone or bringing up the Christian faith or mentioning what we believe. We want to kind of keep it back. We want to keep it kind of secluded. We kind of have this, like, way about us where we just wish it was, like, we could walk past someone with like an LMFAO kind of strut and then everyone would just follow behind and it'd be like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm Christian and I know it. Da, 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 da. And people would just kind of follow behind. Didn't have to say anything. It's just, you know, my walk is, my swag is so deep. People want to follow me. And sometimes as Christians, we do that. It's like, man, you just want to show them like, just like the way that you're living is just so amazing that they just, they just want to know and they just want to, like, you know what? That's right. We do want to live a life that is so amazing that gets people asking questions. But, but one of the things that Jesus does is he definitely always, at every opportunity given, he invites people. He gives them an invitation to follow. I want to encourage us this week to seek opportunities to give invitation, to give invitation. Within our context and the way that our lives are and the way that we can't just ditch everything and just do that the way that things happen here. But within our context, all of us can give invitation 
all of us can shine. Like, I'm not against the whole thing of living a lifestyle that gets people asking questions and wanting to know more. That's totally what Jesus is about. That's totally who he is. But ultimately, no one's ever going to have any opportunity to act out anything or to action anything or to do anything if we don't give the invitation. Now, if we get back to like um, chapter, 24, uh, chapter 4, verse 21, um, and he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put in under a basket or under a bed and not on a lampstand? It is all about this light. And um, I love this because it just makes me think of Green Day and the song Basket Case. And I think that's kind of how church um, in the UK kind of is at the moment. And not just because of church's own reasons, but I think within our society, I don't know if you've noticed this with your friends. I've noticed this with my friends. Like whenever I try to bring up Jesus or I tend to talk about Christianity in any way, I'm not like attacking anyone. I'm not bashing anyone. I'm not doing any like spiritual kung fu. I'm not trying to trip them up, lay them on the floor. I'm not trying to do any of that weird stuff. I'm not wearing a white suit. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. I'm not asking them for money. I'm not doing any of that. But as soon as I start to engage or mention this Jesus, there's always this kind of like kickback. There's always this kind of pushback. Not as in like, Let's engage in this conversation. Let's discuss this. Let's look at this intellectually and logically like everyone claims they want to do. What they tend to do is this. They go, man, don't, yeah, man, we're out, man. Let's not talk about religion and politics. They've managed to pair religion and Jesus and Christianity with politics. Don't talk about that here. Put that there. Keep that in your private life. That's your life. That's your private life. Let's keep it there. What they're really saying is, is they're saying, take that light and stick it under the basket or under the bed, like he says here. Let's keep that thing hidden. And why do they want to keep that thing hidden? It says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Man, I want to keep this thing hidden. I want to keep what's going on with me hidden. I don't want to bring any of this stuff out to the light. I don't want to bring any of this stuff to the surface. You see, everything about Jesus is all about light and is all about darkness. And everything he does is intentional. He shines his light. He shows us who we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He invites us out of where we are into something new, into something amazing. And so straight away off the bat, what Jesus first does is he first invites his disciples to come and to follow him. And then he teaches them and he gives them this kind of information. He tells them what it's all about. He tells them about the gospel. He tells them about what he came to do. He tells them about what he came to give. He tells them about how he he gives his life freely. He tells them that no greater love has a man than this, than the one who gives his life for his friends. I call you friends. He sets an example and he eats out and hangs out with the people he's not supposed to eat out with. He's not supposed to hang out with. But he does it and he reaches them gracefully and he sets an example. He sets a model in motion and he says, guys, it isn't about us. It's about others. It's about the sick. It's about sinners. It's about people like you that I've called out of this. Now you go and do likewise. And what Jesus does is as he leaves, he leaves them with a great commission. And he says, go out into the outermost parts of the world. Take this out from here. Move out from this place. We're here. We've done this here. Move out from here. Make disciples. He's saying shine. He's saying teach. He's saying give. Give of your life. Give of what you have. And he's saying to them, invite people. Because that is what he did in front of them all the time. He always invited people nearer to him. He never pushed people away from him. He's always inviting people inwards. 
And the way we can do that is the basic thing of inviting people to sit here. I'm always encouraging that. We want to, we've gone to a place like this instead of a church hall because we want to have a space where our friends can come. But ultimately, more than just inviting people here, we have to invite people into our lives, into our hearts. We have to give of ourselves to them. It's not convenient to give of yourselves, but you have to. It means sometimes you've got a friend who's just going to buzz you and text you like we've had recently. We've had friends like, oh, can you help us move? Can you help us do this? Bang, we're there. Like, man, they don't know Jesus. We've got to be there. We've got to show them some love, man. We've got to get down with that. We've got to hang out with these guys. We've got to be with them. And when someone texts like, oh, man, I'm going through this, bang, kind of there. You cheer them up. You go for it. Because Jesus, the whole way through, he spends his time having a dinner with people that have all the issues. Instead of avoiding them to have dinner with people who have all the answers. You see the difference? You see, the way we network, the way we're wired is we always seek to have dinner and hang out with the guys with the answers. We don't seek to hang out and have dinner with those who are in the crisis and confused and are hurting. And Jesus calls this huge paradigm shift where he calls people to come and to be light. He calls people to be invited inwards, but he asks people to give of themselves and to give what they have freely. The Bible says, freely we receive, freely to give. So today, what I want to encourage us with is like, I'm always banging on about our three core values as a church, but if you think about them in a one-dimensional way, you'll kind of miss what they are. But I want to encourage us all to shine. I want to encourage us all to radiate God's light, His love, and who He is, making Him known. Shining doesn't mean you just have, you have to do it without speech. You can speak about who He is, revealing who He is, teaching, sharing, engaging conversation. Questions are great because it makes you vulnerable as well as them. Um, it's great sharing that, shining that, sharing your story, inviting them giving opportunities for them, whether it's inviting them to church, whether it's inviting them for a meal, whatever. Just be always shining, always inviting, and then giving. Giving of your time, giving of your hearts, giving of your lives to people, because that's what Jesus did that was so different. And so discipleship is something that is very, from what I understand of it, and from the conversations I've had, and from what I see in the scriptures, is it's extremely organic, but it's extremely intentional. And that leaders are not called to make disciples. All Christians are called to make disciples. It's across the board. It's not a thing for like, oh, you ascend into this like Pokemon level and then all of a sudden you're meant to start making disciples. It's not. It's right away. As soon as you're following Jesus, you're meant to be like that. You're like, I don't have everything to give. You don't have everything to give, but you have what you have to give. And there's never this point where you arrive at this place where you're in the right place to give. You just give what God's given to you freely. You don't try and give them things you don't have. You give them what you do have and you shine with what you do know. And you invite people to what you have, what you know, and to engage with. And so the Christian faith is all about this outward approach. And it is summed up, and I'm going to finish with this, in the most beautiful of ways. I love this passage. It's like my favorite passage in the whole Bible. It's just absolutely awesome. We did a series on it, like, pretty much straight away when we first kind of started. I just love the way Paul puts this. And this is a challenge for all of us this morning. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing he had to keep hold of, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus set this example where he says, although he, Paul's saying, although he's in the form of God, he didn't cling on to that, like that's something I have to keep a hold of. He goes, it's valuable to him, but what was val- most valuable was becoming nothing to serve us, to give to us, to become a servant and give his whole life, even in such a form of suffering. And he gave it freely for us. And what he calls us to do is the same. Earlier in that book, that's Philippians chapter 2, one of the other things it says, it says, it has been granted to you not just to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake also. We are not the center of it all. We sang it this morning. Jesus is the center of it all. And he calls us to be like him. And I want to encourage every single one of us, whatever you're at, whatever your place in your relationship with Jesus is, I want to encourage you, like Moses said this morning, that you could be in that dark, dark place. You know what? The light is coming. And if you want to know and encounter the fullness of God, it's all about having a Christianity that's not placed under a basket, hidden like society would have you do, but on a lampstand where it's on display for all to see, to let his light shine in you and to let your light shine. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And I believe that of each person here, you are the light of the world. That's what Jesus says about us.